From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why, why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats of bad animals and barracudas from the fanatical world of music. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You better believe it. <laughs> and we're your two dreamboat hosts. Yes, we are. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And this week we are bringing you, if you couldn't tell from all the hints, the one and only Heart. Heart. Yay. Yay. Loveliest ladies, Nancy and Anne. I love them. Nancy Ancy. Nancy. Yeah, you can't really mix their names because they're kind of already mixed. They do not have a portmanteau. Cause it's already in there. Is that what the word is? Yeah. Is that what is that what they call it? Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure it is. Now I'm a little bit paranoid that it isn't. I mean, it, but I'm sure it's fine. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that like the Brangelina thing. Yeah. That's a portmanteau. That sounds so bougie. It is. Because it's French. Oh. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But nice. Right off the bat, I guess I should apologize because I'm going to be doing a lot of sniffling and a lot of sneezing and a lot of coughing, which I hope you're going to edit out. I will do my very best. Because I have caught the death in the yeah. midst of a heat wave, which makes no sense. No, it's not fucking allergies. <laughs> Are you sure it's not allergies? It's not allergies. All right. Stop it. Maybe. It's not allergies. Could be. It's goddamn cold. <laughs> I know what a cold feels like. Again, I mean, it doesn't help it, that we don't have allergies. Ironically, sweating my ass off. Sweat out that cold. That's that's not right. I think that's right. You sweat out a flu, mm. not a cold. Mm. I don't know about that. Yeah. But anyway. But anyway, uh, you know, being sick doesn't stop you from drinking some delicious beers. It does not. Some delicious thematic beers. Yeah. Maybe that's what will get the cold out. You know, there was one time. When I was supposed to go to a show, and I was super, super duper sick. It was real bad. Like, I couldn't even open my eyes. And I ended up getting drunk. I did, like, four shots of whiskey and two shots of peach schnapps and then went to the show the next morning. I didn't have a cold anymore. Well, isn't whiskey, Maybe I sweated it out. You sweated it out. I sweated it out. With whiskey. Isn't whiskey one of those things that used to be... That old school cure-all. That was like the cure-all. Yeah. yeah. It was whiskey. Pretty much. So you did... I should drink some... Where's my whiskey? I should drink some whiskey. We have right a lot now. of whiskey. I probably should just pour it as whiskeys. But instead, we are drinking Valley of the Heart's Desire by Almanac Beer Co. You beer got it. Co. Yes. 
Well, that, not, this doesn't have the word brewery in it. Brewery? Brewery. It's really good. It is. It's very tart. It is. It's a very good sour. A little expensive. So I only got one and we got to share it. I believe the one, the full name is Almanac Beer Co. Farm to Barrel. Valley of the Heart's Desire. Part two, The Reckoning. <laughs> Revenge. Final Destination. Part eight. <laughs> It's really the final destination this time. Yeah. That's... No, for real, everybody's going to die. There's nobody left. And then somebody lives and you're like, God damn it, they're going to make a ninth, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Never ends. Just like Saw. Yeah. Although I haven't seen either of them make a movie in a while, so Let's... maybe they are taking a little break. Let's keep it that way. A little breaky break. Anyway. Anyway, so let's get on it. Let's get on it and talk about one of, I think... Or two of, I think, the most criminally underrated rock musicians in all of music history. Oh, easily. A hundred percent. I always feel like Hart never really gets their due. No, they don't. And I think they get made fun of a lot because of the career track they took in the 80s, which I think is wrong. Because, because that was the right move on their part because <laughs> they made amazing music in the 80s. They did. But, I mean, a lot of people that were fans of them in the 70s didn't like what they were doing in the 80s because it was completely different than what they were doing before. So it was like they were selling out, kind of. Our favorite word. You don't say. (laughs) But anyway, let's get on with this shit. So, of course, if we're going to talk about heart, we have to start with the Wilson sisters. Yeah. Ann Wilson, the brunette, and her younger sister Nancy, the blonde, we're raised near... You need the distinction. You do need the distinction. You genuinely need the you distinction. You need the distinction. They were raised near Seattle, Washington with their older sister, Lynn, and mother, Lois, and father, John. Father John. Father John. Misty? Yes. Maybe. Probably. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> John was a U.S. Marine and therefore moved his family around quite a bit. And by the time they were only a handful of years old, they had already lived in exotic places like Panama and Taiwan. Panama! Panama! <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that was terrible. I'm no, sorry. it's fine. It's fine. Keep going. My throat's a little scratchy. Moving Is on. it Axel? <laughs> Is your throat a little scratchy? Sorry, I can't go on with this show. Oh. I'm going home. <laughs> Moving a lot and not able to make a whole lot of friends, the Wilson family felt a little alienated sometimes while living in different countries. So according to their mother, Lois, they used music as a tie that bound them together. If they couldn't find music for them in whatever country they were in, then they would make it themselves. Ooh. Nice. So a very musical family. That's awesome. Which is kind of unconventional a little bit in 1950s Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you don't see most families saying... Hey, let's just hang out and jam. Yeah, I think they grew up in a relatively liberal uh, family. Oh, yeah. Because the Wilson sisters themselves are very liberal and and currently very anti-Trump. Yes. So um, I think they they got that from their parents. Probably. In a way. I mean, they've traveled around the world. Right. They've seen a lot of shit. I think traveling is one of the most important ways to make yourself be an open-minded human being. Right. Eventually, they settled down near Seattle, Washington, and there the sisters' musical talents blossomed. Nancy credits the Beatles' iconic performance on The Ed Sullivan Show as the match that lit the fire under their asses. 
It was the lightning bolt that launched them headfirst into music. Huh. Which I feel like a lot of um, musicians from their generation yeah. kind of feel the same way about that Ed Sullivan special with the Beatles. That was... It was... It was... It's probably one of the top three moments in music ever. Yeah. Well, Nancy likened it to the moon landing, which yeah. I think is pretty on par. Yeah. I agree. Pretty good comparison. Eventually, both girls would take up the guitar, but it was Nancy that got a real taste for it, For it, while Anne nurtured what would become one of the most amazing voices in rock history. Yeah. A big reason why Anne focused so much on singing was because she had a very bad stutter when she was younger. Oh. She credits singing with helping her overcome the affliction, because for the first time, she was able to utter a full sentence without stammering, and it changed her from a shy, quiet child to a girl eager to be on stage and sing for audiences. Nice. Good for you. Yeah. In the mid-1960s, Anne and Nancy started their first musical group with two friends that they called The Viewpoints. It was a real down-home kind of group, playing car shows and drive-ins. Eventually, they dropped the friends and went out as a duo, but that didn't really go over well. Like, fuck these guys. We're going to go out on our own. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> we're like 12. Oh, they fine. were just little babies. Yeah, they were really young. Um, at one church event, they played a number of popular anti-war songs that weren't the greatest choices for a religious audience, and half the people in, the atten- in attendance walked out. Oh. Because 1960s church peeps have no chill. That's basically. fair and legitimate. <laughs> yeah. But the Wilson sisters continued playing music through high school, and although Nancy decided to attend college in Oregon, Anne decided to say fuck school because she had bigger shit to do. That's fair. She, and she did. Yeah. Really. Uh, she she chose she wisely. Made, she made the right choice. She did. So meanwhile, over in Bothell, Bothell, Bothell? Washington? Bothell? Bothell? I kind of like Bothell. Sure. I don't even think it's right, but I like it. We're going to say Bothell. I'm saying Bothell. A band called The Army was playing bars and clubs around the Seattle area. The Army, founded by bassist Steve Fawson and guitarist Roger Fisher, would go through a bunch of lineup changes and eventually settled on the name Heart. But there was something missing, so in 1970, they put an ad out for a new singer. Well, it just so happened that Anne saw this ad and answered it. She auditioned, but the band liked her so much that within one hour, they offered her the job. They renamed themselves Hocus Pocus. And, <laughs> yeah, right? Wait a minute. Yeah. But they had the name already. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But they changed it to Hocus Pocus. Okay. Because I I don't know. All I can think of is that it's a children's band. But because is of the it? movie. No, oh. it's not a children's band. I was like, they're a kid's band. But I immediately go to that Halloween movie with Bette Midler. Right. Even though I've never seen it. I was going to say you've never seen I've it. I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to see it. Well, you've missed the you've missed the boat. Yeah. I'm I just flew by that boat. Yeah. Like you're gone. Straight. It's, it's not gonna have the same effect on you as an adult as yeah, it no, did. It really won't. Because I still like it. But I don't know if most of that is because I watched it as a kid a bunch. Right. So. I don't know. I watched way too much Labyrinth to be, like, entertained by Hocus Pocus, I think. I know, but Midler. But David Bowie. I'm not saying that she's on par with David Bowie. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, she's still Bette Midler. Yeah. But I'm still not going to watch it. <laughs> Fair. So they, yeah, they renamed themselves Hocus Pocus and they set out on a short tour. It was during one of these shows that Anne met Roger Fisher's older brother, Michael. Now, Michael was a Vietnam War draft dodger 
that was hiding out in Vancouver, Canada, but that night he had snuck back across the border to see his brother's band play. Mm-hmm. Anne and Michael instantly fell in love. Yeah, I bet they did, because you know what sounds hot? A draft dodger. If I was back right? in like the Vietnam days, I'd be like, ooh, you, dro- you dodging the draft? It's like ultimate bad boy. You're like, ooh. Sup, Rambo. <laughs> Except not Rambo. Except not Rambo. Except I don't know what the opposite of Rambo would have been back then. John Wayne? He dodged the draft <laughs> as well, but that was the 40s. Yeah, he dodged World War II. Yeah, which, <laughs> arguably not as sexy as dodging Vietnam. I mean, I wouldn't want to go to either one. Right, but, but I mean, if I had to pick which war I'm going to have to go to, I would pick World War II. Yeah. I felt like that was a more noble cause. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right. You're completely yeah. right. There was a lot of fucked up <laughs> shit around Vietnam. Yeah. So. And, yeah. So... Basically, dodge Vietnam, that's sexy. Dodge World War II, not so much. Yeah. So, yeah, but since he was basically on the run, Michael had to stay in Vancouver or risk getting thrown in jail. So Anne quit the band and followed him to Canada. (gasps) Why you do that? Why you do that? Girl. But she was like, what, 18, 19? Um, I think she was like maybe 20 or 21 at this point. You're that age. Yeah. You think that shit's important. So the rest of the band didn't want to lose a good thing, so they ended up following Anne to Vancouver. Oh, shit! Yeah. So while all of this was happening, Anne was consistently poking her sister Nancy, who was still in college in Oregon, to blow off school and join the band in Vancouver. Hey. 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 Nancy. Hey, Nancy. Join the band. (laughs) Do it. You know you wanna. You know you wanna be in my band. She's like, shut up, of course I do. But school. But school. The uh, the band was gaining popularity in Vancouver as a cover band, and it was kind of a sure bet. It took some convincing, but eventually Nancy moved to Canada and joined the band. Ha They did it. They totally pulled it off. Success. And naturally, love would blossom again inside the heart circle. Nancy and Roger ended up getting together. So now you have two brothers dating two sisters, three of whom were in a band together, and by now Michael had become the band's manager. That's right. I do remember this. Super Fleetwood Mac of them. Very Fleetwood Mac of them. But, like, you kind of think, you know, if three's company, four's four's a crowd. crowd. Isn't it two's company, three's a crowd? For our purposes, it's three's company. Three's company, two. (laughs) Yeah. There we go. That's it. So now Nancy, by this time, was a really good guitarist and primarily played the acoustic guitar. Since the song's heart covered didn't have much in the way of acoustic parts, they started writing their own material. Anne and Nancy proved to be prolific songwriters and would actually end up penning just about all of their early hits and most of the songs on their early albums. Nice. So, I mean, this is a very rare bird in the sense that the there's first of all there's two lead women right in a rock band in the 70s which you never fucking saw except for maybe Fleetwood Mac and maybe and actually at this point I don't even it's still mid 70s so yeah I would say Fleetwood Mac is coming up at the same time and you could still argue that Lindsey Buckingham and Mick Fleetwood and basically I think that it was a bit more co-ed yeah in Fleetwood Mac yeah you didn't Stevie Nicks was a main focal point, but Christine McVie wasn't as much. I think it was more um, Stevie and Lindsay were the main focal points. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah. But actually, I think I think Heart came out before 
before Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac as we know it with yeah. Stevie and Lindsay because they their first album came out I want to say in 78 Hearts came out in 76 was it 78 I'm pretty sure it was 78 or 79 huh we'll have to look that up yeah you would think we didn't do an episode on it or anything. Look, we drink a lot of beers, guys. <laughs> so after getting a bunch of songs worked out, they went into the studio to record an album. By that time, they had signed a deal with independent record label Mushroom Records and also brought in some new blood with Howard Lee on guitar and keyboards and Mike DeRosier on drums. How many fucking guitars do they have? Too many. That's a lot of guitars. Too many. Too many <laughs> Too many. too many guitars. Too many. Too many. <laughs> hey, you got too many guitars. Too you got many. got at least one of them. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if you want to have, like, the hard rock sound that they wanted, but Nancy pretty much only played acoustic guitar, then you have to have two other electric guitarists right. on your roster in order to get that sound. I mean, so. just listen to Crazy on You. Right. Because that is... You can hear 20 different guitars right. going on in there. because there are 20 different guitars. Meanwhile, I'm like, where's the bass line? Yeah. Oh, there you are. And not to... Like, I didn't even mention all of the session musicians that they had working on the album, too. What? Yeah, they had tons. Tons of musicians in and out all, all right. the time. It's crazy. That's crazy. Um, in the summer of 1975, the album Dreamboat Annie was released in Canada, followed by a U.S. release in February 1976. It sold 30,000 copies in Canada in its first few months and eventually nice. reached number seven on the U.S. Billboard charts. Wow. Yeah, it kind of had a slow start. It, it simmered for a while on the charts for a few months. Right. And then eventually it started catching on. But the album's success, no doubt, was helped immensely by the popularity of the singles Crazy on You. Yes. And Magic Man. Mm-hmm. Anne had written Magic Man about Michael and admits it's completely autobiographical. Michael was the magic man that lured her away from her mother and her home. But while it wasn't getting that much airplay in Vancouver, it was blowing up a radio station in Montreal that was giving it heavy rotation. By the time their Dreamboat Annie tour got to Montreal, fans were going nuts over them. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because for what it's worth, it doesn't sound like, it sounds like they were a pretty low-key band. You know, they're on an independent label. Yeah. So the fact that they've gotten any real buzz at all is pretty impressive. Right. And it's kind of weird. Like, I can understand it being kind of weird because, you know, you're on one side of the country playing a show and nobody gives a shit who you are. And then a couple weeks later, you go to the opposite side of the country and everyone's losing their shit over you. Right. It's kind of like how it is in the United States. You're in Los Angeles. Nobody knows who the fuck you are. You go to New York and everybody loves you. Yeah. It's so weird. Although nowadays it must be like super different. We should pick like a pretty modern artist just because I'm curious. Like, how do you even do it anymore? It's just all internet. Yeah. And everybody has the internet. Everybody has the internet. Pretty much. At their fingertips. Unfortunately, everyone has the internet. (laughs) So... The spontaneous popularity was a really good thing, because it would have ended up in disaster all because of something Anne said. Oh no. While in the middle of a two-week string of shows at a dinner club in Canada somewhere, Anne got on stage and remarked that the food at the club tasted like pine salt. Okay. (laughs) I don't know why. I think for some reason they were really pissed off at the club for some reason, but they, they had shows lined up for two weeks at this club. Right. And, like, four days in, Anne is like, their food tastes like shit. <laughs> you know, maybe because it's 2018. 
But in in this world, when I hear like I I was like waiting for a racist remark or something, you know, <laughs> really like, offensive or sexist or some kind of pedophile joke. And so it's this food tastes like pine saw, and I want to go back to that time and cradle one of their little Canadian faces in my hands and say, guys, you it gets worse. You don't even know. This is this is nothing. Let her have the pine saw comment. Eat it. it just eat just it. Eat it. Just eat it. Eat it and love it. Get yourself an egg and beat it. <laughs> All I can think of now is Weird Al. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, uh, the well. The, anyway, so yes. she said it tasted like pine saw, and the owner didn't like that. Oh no, <laughs> I'm offended. Uh-huh. So he fired them when they got off stage. Oh. Oh, did they have like a residency at this place? They had like a two week stint where oh, they were playing shows at like every one place. At the one club. Oh, that is kind of dumb though. Right? Okay. Did, See, I just did thought you they not were understand random... it this whole no. time. <laughs> I thought that they were at a random venue and they were in a random area of Canada and then she said it no. at this one shot. They had like a bunch of shows at this one club. Oh girl, for that's two something weeks. you stay that's something you say at the end of your yeah. run. Yeah. Air your grievances on the last show. <laughs> Not on, like, the fourth one. Chill. It's all right. Sorry, she fig- they figured it out. They made it work. Yeah. But they they got good news because Michael Fisher was there to save the day, immediately telling them all was well because Rod Stewart personally asked for Hart to open for him in Montreal that month. Oh, shit. So Hart had officially made it because they were opening for Rod Stewart. You know when Rod Stewart wants you. Yeah. Then that's it. You know, if he wants your body and he thinks you're sexy. Well, come on, baby. Let him know. Let him know. Do it. Blondes have more fun. He just liked Nancy. Maybe. Maybe. Some guys have all the luck. (laughs) Wake up, Maggie. I think I got something to say to you. (laughs) It's like... It's like the extent. I'm I'm done. I'm done with Rod Stewart. Oh, except that tonight is the night. There we go. I think it's out of my system now. Uh, but, of course, legal troubles were not far off. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. right. Yeah. Legal troubles. This part of the story. Great. <laughs> Woo! By November 1976, Dreamboat Annie was a platinum album. So the band tried to negotiate with Mushroom Records, arguing that they should be getting paid in line with a platinum-selling band. The label resisted and was pretty insulting about it. They thought maybe the band was a one-hit wonder or that the Wilson sisters were just a novelty and didn't want to give them the money they deserved for the work they put into the album. But, like, they still sold a platinum-selling album, so they still deserve it. So even if they don't make another platinum-selling album, they still deserve money on par with making a platinum-selling album because they made one. Yeah. Like, the logic just does not make sense. Heard record companies sometimes screw their 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 acts out I, of things. You know, if record companies had Yelp reviews. Oh my god. Uh, if only. If only. To add insult to injury, Mushroom Records did something pretty fucking deplorable, even for 1970s standards. Okay. They took out an ad in Rolling Stone for the album, and in the ad was a photo from the Dreamboat Annie cover shoot of the Wilson sisters bare-shouldered back-to-back and looking at the camera. Under the photo was the headline, Hart's Wilson Sisters Confess It Was Only Our First Time. (gasps) 
The implication, of course, being the sisters were incestuous lesbian lovers, an obvious ploy to use their sexuality as a means to move units. <laughs> units. <laughs> Stop it. I can't. Talk about lesbians, they say units. <laughs> of course, my 12-year-old brain is going to go straight there. Uh, yeah, no, I remember hearing about, I didn't realize it was the record label that did this to them, though. Oh, yeah. That's it fucked. It was absolutely the record label that did it. That is arguably the most fucked thing. So they did it because they were pissed at heart for wanting more money. No, I mean, they were trying to, they were, they did it because they wanted to sell more records. That's and so I, fucked up. And I truly don't think that they realized how incredibly insulting and degrading it was. And they just did it. And also, Rolling Stone shouldn't be like... No. Like, get off scot-free in this. Because they're the ones that ran the ad. Yeah, they knew better. Absolutely, they knew better. (laughs) Rolling Stone, not always known for having the best journalism. You don't say. (laughs) Boy, oh boy. Oh boy. (laughs) Oh boy. Oh golly gee, though. (laughs) Don't you know. The Rolling Stone magazines. It's... That's just deplorable. It is. It is, though. That's it's not great. It's gross. It's pretty Not great, gross. guys. Um, yeah, but yeah, the sisters were pr- obviously furious. As they should be. They weren't consulted about the ad, and they never gave permission to print it, and naturally their pride was hurt. They were hardworking, intelligent women leading a hard rock band, which you definitely didn't see in the male-dominated rock scene of the 1970s, Mm-mm. and they busted their asses to get where they were. Right. And all of it was reduced to a novelty in one single ad. Ugh. It's gross. Come on. (laughs) Come on! And on top of that, like, you're in the middle of this big lawsuit and court case, so, yeah, just fucking kick us in the cooter one more time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. you know. (sighs) So, one good thing did come out of it, though. Shortly after the ad ran, a radio promoter went up to Anne and asked her how her lover is doing. After Anne said that Michael is fine, the guy said, no, I mean your other lover, your sister Sister. Nancy. Anne was so infuriated by the implication that she stormed back to the hotel and wrote Barracuda about the sexist dickhead. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Barracuda would become a huge hit off their next album, Little Queen, and... I don't know if you have seen the cover of Little Queen. Yeah. Have you seen the back cover? No. I only seen the front. Ann Wilson on the back cover is everything that I want to be oh. as a person. Okay. <laughs> like, you, the the cover is like medieval traveling minstrel yeah. theme, kind of, and they kind of, they're in the medieval outfits and whatever. They look like they're at a Ren fair. Right. Yeah. But on the back... There's Anne standing on the steps of their little traveling wagon. Yeah. And she's wearing the black velvet dress with the white lace trim and like the thing around the waist. But also she's holding a crystal ball. She has on she has her leg up with purple stockings on and those fucking awesome like 70s stack heeled boots that everybody in the 70s had that i want so badly and can't find anywhere because they were made in the 70s because they were made in the 70s and nobody makes them anymore that is like i want to be all of that arguably you're well on your way i feel like i am but i am not there yet you just need that velvet dress someday 
Someday I will be there. You Someday will. I will be Ann Wilson on the back cover of the Little Queen album. I'm down with that. She is my queen in that photo. She, yeah. Ann and Nancy really knew how to dress and how to look the part. They did a good job with that. They did a good job of being um, the cool girls. Yeah, like but they like, weren't like over-sexualized. They were accessible cool girls. Yeah. Like, you could walk up to Ann and Nancy and be like, sup? And they'd be like, Hey, and you'd be like, cool, you're and not then, assholes. And then they'd be like, yo, you want to have some beers and then do a seance later? And you'd be like, yeah, cool. A hundred percent. I'm down with that. I would love to do that. That's what I want. That's all I've ever wanted. <sighs> is to have a seance with Anna Nancy Wilson. <laughs> Anna Nancy Wilson. Anna Nancy? Anna Nancy Anna Wilson. Nancy. Anna Nancy Wilson. But before Little Queen could even come out, they still had to deal with their fight with Mushroom Records. Hart had broken their deal with Mushroom and signed with Portrait Records, which was also Epic Records. Oh. It's like a subsidiary of Epic Records, which resulted in Mushroom releasing an unfinished album called Magazine right before Portrait was set to release Little Queen. Oh, yeah. Quartz ordered Mushroom to recall the album, which Portrait would end up re-releasing in 1978 to critical acclaim. Yeah, it's a good album. Hart went on to win their battle with Mushroom Records, but things didn't end so well for the label. Shelly Siegel, Mushroom's manager and the person that thought up the idea for the disastrous Rolling Stone ad. Hold up. It's a guy. Oh. It's not a girl. I was about to say. <laughs> I thought the same thing until I Googled Shelly Siegel. We go have some And words. it's a dude. Internet. No, no, no. no. It's a dude. Okay. <laughs> Because I was about to just lose it. I'd be like, really though, girl? The whole time I was writing my notes, I was like, girl on girl violence. This has to stop. <laughs> you're like, oh no. You're like, just oh. a man with a girl's name and probably butthurt that you have a girl's name. And arguably a girl's haircut too. So, mm. meh. Although in the 70s, is it still a girl's haircut? No, it wasn't back then. But yeah. still. And I shouldn't make fun of him. No. Because... You know, uh... Well, I mean, we shouldn't make fun of someone for their appearance. That's true. But he's true. still a douchebag. He's still a douchebag, but also, we shouldn't make fun of him, because only a few months after the court case ended, he died of a massive brain aneurysm. Anyway, so the band continued on, releasing their next album, Dog and Butterfly, in October 1978. It would be certified double platinum and peaked at number 17 on the Billboard charts. And it's kind of a weird album. Because in it, the first song, I don't know if you've listened to it, but the first song, Cook With Fire, yeah. sounds like it's a live song. Yeah. Because like, there's I audio- thought it was for a hot second. It's not. I thought Dog and Butterfly was a live album. Yeah. But it's not. I know. Because. <laughs> it's so weird. All the tracks were recorded in the studio and the audience sounds were dubbed over in the recording. Hmm. It's very weird. I don't really know why they did that. Yeah, especially that's an odd choice. Especially because they've released so many live albums. Yeah, you don't really need to fake a live track. Yeah. I guess if you want like I guess if you want it to sound really good. This <laughs> yo, this crowd noise is pristine, guys. <laughs> Do you hear that guys hooting and hollering? Because it's real good in this. That whistle sounds fantastic. <laughs> It's just the extra it's band. It's actually mem- just... It's just the session musicians going... Woo, woo, woo! Yeah! One more tune! 
oh, can we do that? What? Can that be our career? We can just pretend to be live audience members. <laughs> I, I think we'd be good at it. I think that's, that should, a that's job? our calling. Is that a job? It's going to be. We can make Let's it Let's just a job. ask everybody, do you want people to, to act like they're a large crowd behind your band? Because we'll do it. We will do that. We're really good at that. Yeah. Even though the band's music was soaring, their personal lives were plummeting. Remember, we have two couples within the band. And that's going so good, right? That's yeah, going great. Because it always ends up fantastic, right? Always. Always. Every time. Yeah. Nancy and Roger and Ann and Michael. Yes. At some point during the Dog and Butterfly tour, Nancy found out that Roger had cheated on her. So Nancy then started dating their drummer, Michael DeRosier. Great idea, right? So, so instead of being like, hello, I'm going to confront you, Roger, for cheating on me and you've broken my poor little heart. Like, fuck you. I'm, I'm a fucking sleep. the drummer. I'm a fuck with that drummer. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck with his dick. And guess what? He's in the bunk above you. So fuck off. That's what you get, bitch. Yeah. I guess. Actually, I, I feel know. like that is kind of satisfying now that we've said it. <laughs> I feel oddly satisfied for Nancy. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, I still got it. So obviously this created a shit ton of tension within the band. Huh. Culminating in what they referred to as the Great Kabong Incident. Kabong? Kabong. Yes. Huh. As in kabong. Oh, see, I was like, did someone break somebody's bong? And the noise it made was kabong. <laughs> Close. Maybe. Okay. Basically, Roger had a complete meltdown on stage. Oh, no. <laughs> At the end of the show... He smashed his guitar on stage into a million pieces and then walked off. Oh. Once backstage, he did the same thing again, punctuating his freak out with a guitar part thrown at Nancy's head. Oh. How many times did she sleep with this drummer? I don't know how long they were together. Oh. Like, they were... Nancy and Roger weren't really together anymore, but Nancy and Michael were kind of together. Wait, the drummer's name was Michael? Is his name Michael? Are there is this the case of too many mics again? Yeah, it's too many mics again. Oh, yeah, his name is Mike. Mics. Stop naming your kids Mike. Stop it. We're done. We've got too many mics. There's too many mics in this world. We do not need any more. Stop night. Stop with the mics. Yeah. No more mics. <laughs> Instead of I don't know if you get the this reference, but you know, at the end of X Men, one of the issues, Star- Scarlet Witch is just like no more mutants, and she gets rid of all the mutants. I just wish I could do that with like no more mics. <laughs> no more mics. <laughs> But, like, the mics that we have are fine. I just don't want any more mics. Yeah, they can stay. We don't need more mics. Right. No more mics. Please. But the current mics are fine. We don't need any Mike Juniors. Oh, my God. We don't need any of them. No. Just stop. Just stop. There are plenty of other names in this world. There are a lot of names, guys. Like, a lot. You can even make them up if they don't already exist. Yeah. So. People name their kids ridiculous shit now. You don't need a Michael. You don't. You got to compete with crazy names now. Yeah. Like Daenerys or Tyrion. So like, you know, Michael's just boring now. It's passe. Yeah. It's it's old school. We're over it. Yeah. But anyway, yes. with the great Kabong incident, Roger was voted out of the band. With What's this fucking Survivor? Heart. Survivor. <laughs> no, it would be Survivor. Heart. It's just the band members. And Jeff Probst. Honestly, honestly, Heart kind of is like Survivor because I feel like when I was, I was, I left out all of the lineup changes because basically with every album, 
they just fired everybody and then rehired a completely new band. It was kind of ridiculous. I'm like, I'm not even going into the fucking lineup changes. Oh, my. Yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. The only person that really stayed in the band for a really long time was um, Howard Lease. Okay. He would have, he stayed all the way through the 80s. Oh, okay. And then they fired him. Oh. Yeah. I would almost argue that he maybe won Survivor Heart. He could have won. He might have. Mm-hmm. If he's the longest running, I'm letting him have it. You go, Robert Lee or Howard Lease. Yeah, Howard Lease. Yeah. So within a month of Roger being voted out of the band. Yes. Ann and Michael's relationship was over as well. Yeah, I can't imagine things are going great after your brother gets kicked out. Yeah, no. Up until now, all four of these people had control over the band. Now that the Fisher brothers were out, Anne and Nancy realized they had total control over the band, its music, and its direction. Hmm. So they went back into the studio with a bunch of songs written by the sisters and their friend and frequent songwriting partner, Sue Ennis, and came up with Baby Lestrange, which was released on Valentine's Day in 1980. Right. It did well and peaked at number five on the Billboard charts, but didn't do as well as their previous albums. Which, I feel bad saying it. Not my favorite album. I really like B.B. Lestrange. I love it. But I think it's a good transition I was about to say, you can definitely tell it is a total transition into what they're going to become. Yeah. And maybe that's why I didn't like it as much, because I either want 70s heart or 80s heart. Yeah, it's kind of that awkward 13-year-old puberty stage. Yeah, it really is. It doesn't know what it wants to be. (laughs) Yes, and I think that was my biggest problem with it. But arguably... I kind of like their their look at this point. Yeah, I will say the cover, they look awesome. They look fantastic. They went on to release two more albums in the early years of the 1980s, Private Audition in 82 and Passion Works in 83, both of which everyone did a hard pass on. They didn't even reach gold status and were yeah. considered flops. They were really not good. They're not great. Um, they're, they're not even bad. They're just... Easy they, to pass over. You don't think about them. And you have no idea what the fuck they're doing. Right. I don't think they knew what the fuck they were doing. They were I really think, stumbling around in the dark for a bit. Yeah. I mean, it was great that the Wilson sisters had control over the band, but I think without their, like, without the Fisher brothers and their usual band supporting them, they didn't right. really know what, what to do. They were kind of floundering a little bit. And the big reason, a big reason why Passionworks didn't do so well, according to the band, was a buttload of coke. <laughs> you don't say cocaine yeah. in the seventies and eighties yeah. affecting a band. Who would have thought? What? 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 <laughs> Drugs have become a pretty big part of their lives by now, and alcohol as well. Probably not only because it was fun and rock and roll, right. but maybe as a coping mechanism too. Because by that time, not only did Nancy and Mike DeRosier, DeRosier call it quits, but Mike also quit the band and Epic Records dropped the band from their label. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Which is never a good thing. No, that's bad. That's yeah. real bad. Ooh. But all was not completely lost for heart in the early 80s because Anne recorded a little ditty called Almost Paradise with Loverboy lead singer Mike Reno for the Footloose soundtrack. That's a good song. It is a good song. And Loverboy has always sucked. (laughs) 
No, nah, Loverboy's like... great. I love Loverboy. Yeah. But still, the band was desperate and floundering. They were rejected by five different labels, but finally they got an offer from Capitol Records. Oh, okay. That's that's a name. But Capitol had some conditions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. They were told that they had to record songs written by other people, which was kind of a big blow to the Wilsons, who had written all of their music up until now. Of course. As well as remove the acoustic guitar from their music. And the band reluctantly agreed. But, like, that's what Nancy plays. Right. So. So she kind of had to just suck it up and deal with it. Because they wanted success. They wanted to make their music and be popular. So they agreed to all of it. Oh, I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. Yeah. Capital had a vision for heart and were pretty aggressive about getting what they wanted from the Wilson sisters. They wanted a female-fronted glam rock band, which was massively popular at the time. They wanted epic, synthesizer-driven rock songs, and they wanted to turn heart into that kind of band, even if the band was super reluctant to oblige. But Hart wanted to be successful, and they wanted to keep the band going, even if that meant selling their souls to get it. And arguably, <laughs> everything that they say they wanted them to do, I'm like, yeah, this sounds great. Why wouldn't you want all yeah. this? Well, I mean, you know, there's there's a reason why they wanted them to work with super successful songwriters, because that's how the record company makes money. Right, and... Sometimes you just need to step back and let somebody help you. Yeah. And let somebody who's been doing it for a while show you, well, this is how we do it and we're really successful. It can't hurt to work with somebody else and get another set of eyes on things. Right. It's If it's almost a guaranteed win, then you're kind of going to go with it. Who doesn't love synthesizers? Everybody loves synthesizers. I mean, I do. So the band went through a complete makeover, not only musically, but physically as well. They debuted mile-high hairdos, stilettos, shiny spandex, and makeup plastered all over their faces to the new MTV generation, a version of themselves wholly manufactured by the record company. Again, though, I'm like, but that sounds awesome. <laughs> well, because they, 80s heart is my favorite heart. Yeah. Well, they even said, like, it was really fun in the beginning because it's like you're playing dress up. But yeah. once they want you to do it every time you walk out of your house, then it's not so fun anymore. That's exhausting. But relinquishing control of the band paid off because arguably the mid to late 80s were the era Hart is most known for. Yeah. They released their self-titled debut album in 1985 and it spawned the hits What About Love, yeah. Never, yeah. Nothing At All, yeah. and These Dreams. Which is a fantastic song. They're all fantastic songs. They're all amazing songs. This album hit number one on the Billboard charts and would end up going quintuple platinum. Quintuple. Five five. Five times platinum. I did it. (laughs) You can math. I did it. But holy shit, that's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. Very much their most um, successful album. I remember, I think I was in middle school. And again, my family would just leave random blank cassette tapes around and I would just play them all. And this one had that album on it. And I was like, this is great. (laughs) This is awesome. I love this. Middle School Maggie. All about 80s heart. I really got into like an 80s thing in middle school. Between like 80s Madonna and 80s heart. 
basically any woman with gigantic hair. Maggie was all about. It's all about it. Yeah. Or just like an angsty singer-songwriter from the 90s, like Alanis Morissette or Tori Amos or Mm -hmm. Paula Cole. I really just liked my my ladies. (laughs) I like my ladies with hair, whether it be grungy hair or big hair. Arguably, everybody had jagged little pill. Yeah, every I, single human being who was alive in the 90s fucking had jagged any little pill. young teenager with a parent who allowed them to create a Columbia House membership oh had jagged little pill oh my God. because they got it from Columbia House or BMG. Oh. I had both. I My dad actually had Columbia House. Yeah. And sometimes I could I could piggyback off him and he would let me grab a couple records yeah. if he didn't have like the full 10 for the month or whatever bullshit yeah. the fucking offer well, you, was. You paid like $5 or whatever and you got 10 CDs right away. Right. And then you had to buy at full price one CD like every month or every three months. Yeah. For like three consecutive cycles or else they like charge you a shit ton of money. You know though, arguably that's not a bad deal. It's really not. That's a, I would I would do that now. Granted, I think they upmarked Oh, the, of course they did, but you're still getting a deal. But if it was vinyl I am my father's daughter. If it was <laughs> vinyl records, I would totally do it. Yeah. Not CDs, but vinyl? Absolutely I would do that. Columbia House, where are you? <laughs> Whatever happened to Columbia you. House. We need you, Columbia House. <laughs> Columbia House twenty eighteen. Can I just write in Columbia House Come for on. the elections this year? Columbia House for president. Yeah. Doing a better job than what's there now. Truth. Already got your slogan. So anyway, (laughs) to exemplify how pop mainstream Hart was going, These Dreams was submitted to them after Stevie Nicks turned it down, and they even had We Built This City submitted to them. Yo, I love We Built This City. You know why I don't like it? Because whenever somebody utters the words We Built This City, I instantly get that song stuck in my head. rock and roll. (laughs) Damn. Fuck off. I can't. Oh, see, like, but I get really happy when I get that song stuck in my head. That's the annoying thing is that I, like, I'm happy for, like, two weeks and I hate myself. Oh, why am I so fucking happy? Oh, it's because I have, we built this city stuck in my head. Fuck off, Jefferson Starship, you piece of shit. Now I want to watch Mannequin. Well, that's just Starship, all right? Get your Jeffersons and your starships right. I'm, I'm so sorry. You better be. I still want to watch Mannequin. That's a great movie. So in high contrast to their albums of the 70s and early 80s, none of their biggest hits were solely written by the Wilsons. That trend continued onto their next album, Bad Animals, which included the mega hit and probably most covered heart song, Alone. Yup fucking fantastic song it's a great karaoke song i'm pretty sure it is the most covered song on american idol every season at least one person does it huh you know i never watched a full season of american idol so i'm never sure i believe you i watched it in college and like every season somebody did alone and they tried so hard and it just never worked there was ann wilson but there was yeah but there was one season where one girl did uh, Crazy on You, and it was really good. Yeah. She did a really good job. She's like, oh, do you all do Alone? I'm going to do Crazy on You. Because it's arguably the better song, but... It is, mm. it is though. Not anyway. that they're not both great songs. Mm-hmm. 
Like, let's get that out of the way. But it was at this point when Anne's weight became a real hot button issue. Because (sighs) weight always does when it comes to ladies. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, people talked about fat Eminem and fat Axel. We talked about fat Axel. We did. Everyone else was just like, oh yeah, Axel gained weight. Oh, okay, bye. We're like, no. Fat Axel. I remember when Eminem gained weight, people made a big fuss about it. I didn't know he gained weight. Oh, he did? ooh, yeah, like 2008, oh. maybe. Am I gonna have to Google Fat ooh, Eminem? You're gonna have to Google Fat Eminem. Ooh, <laughs> I arguably feel bad. Like, <sighs> fat's not being fat isn't a bad thing. I'm in a weird place with weight. Tell me about Anne. <laughs> when I say fat, I'm saying it in a way that is more positive. I guess. Yeah. I mean, granted, when I say fat Axel, I'm kind of making fun of him. <laughs> but, like, in our Beth Ditto episode, I use the word fat a lot. But yeah. But that's because it's kind of like taking it back, I yeah. guess, in a way. Like, you can say fat in a way that's insulting, and you can say fat in a way that's empowering. Right. So, when I say fat, I'm like, yeah, it's fat. Whatever. Fat. Who just, gives a shit? It's on your body. It's yeah, fine. It's there. It's fat. That's it what is, it is. It is legitimately fat. That's yeah. what it's called. That's <laughs> <laughs> scientifically the word for it. Yeah. Anyway, so Anne had struggled with her weight her entire life. According to Anne and Nancy's mother, obesity ran in their family, and mm. Anne always struggled with that, sometimes going to extreme lengths to keep weight off. During the early years of heart, Anne kept her weight down by starving herself and using drugs. I was going to say, because when they first came out, Anne was very thin. Well, yeah, that's the thing. When In the 70s, um, she she was normal. Right. If if not thin. Yeah, definitely thin. But, I would say thin. But. Yeah. And it seems like you can just say, oh, well, she was just normal back then. Well, the truth of the matter was that she was starving herself that entire time. You know, she would... She just wouldn't eat. She was doing everything she could to stay that size. And then she finally just started eating like a normal person. And then she started gaining weight because that's just her natural state. Right. It's not even that she was eating necessarily unhealthily. It's just, oh, I had toast. Here's five pounds. Right. Which is exactly what happens to me. So I completely understand where she's coming from. Yeah. It's like once my thyroid broke... You know, yeah, I get that. Right. I that feel where you're like, oh, I looked at cheese. <laughs> now, I just gained No, I gained pounds. eight pounds. Great. Whoops. Awesome. Hey, I gained five pounds in four hours. How'd I do that? I didn't even eat anything. How'd I do great. that? But it's sadly a pretty common story throughout music history as societal standards and record company pressures force young women who are in the spotlight to look a certain way right. and shit hasn't changed in decades. The same thing that she went through in the 70s and 80s is exactly what women are still going through now. Right. I mean, we covered it in Kesha a little bit. We touched upon it. She yeah. definitely felt the pressures from Dr. Luke, like, oh, you know, don't gain weight. Or just even from anybody, you know, higher up from her. It's like, you can't gain weight. You gotta stay skinny. And there was definitely points where you can see pictures of her. When she first came out, she's just Average. Like, she was just a very average size. Like, she looked good. It was fine. And then you can see in a few years after that, way too skinny. Yeah. And that's the pressures of being out there. Yeah. And now, now she's a normal weight. A completely average weight. Right. But 
compared to her a few years ago, she has gained weight. Which and now people are like, oh my god, she's so puffy, like she's so people, fat, she's so blah. Like it's when like, people but, went on about like Britney gaining weight, it's like, no, Britney just looks normal now. Yeah, it's just that she's not working out for twelve hours. She's a got day. a tummy, but a tummy isn't unhealthy. And also, she's popped out two kids. Like, right. give, leave Britney alone. Leave right? her alone. Leave Britney alone. <laughs> But I mean, thankfully now, it's like we have Beth Ditto. There's artists like Lizzo. These are women that are bigger and they are loving their bigger bodies. And that's just, even for me, it's nice to hear that and think, okay, be okay with yourself. No matter what size you are, it's like you can say, okay, you know what? This is fine. Yeah. So we're trying. And even Anne said that she's really supportive of the body positivity movement. And she's really glad to see that. Something like that is now coming to the forefront. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Because, you know, it's been years and years and years since this shit happened. Yeah. And we're finally having a body positivity movement. She probably really could have benefited from that. Yeah, totally. But now Anne was faced with a record company telling her, telling her to her face that she's too fat when she wasn't at all. No. And that she needed to lose weight. The record company got around her quote-unquote fat figure in music videos by only filming her from the neck up as she was the face and Nancy was the body. Yep. If you look at videos, it's all Anne face. just face. There is one video, fuck, I forgot which song it was. Isn't it All I Want to Do is Make Love to You? No, there's another one that's a lesser hit. Oh, I can't remember what it was. But... It's it's a song that Nancy sings, not Anne. Oh, okay. But they show full body shots of Nancy oh, the yeah. whole time. But anytime they show Anne, it's either super tight close up face, yep. or she's standing behind like a a pedestal of things that <laughs> obscure her up to her like chest. Oh my god! It's like she, but she's fine. She looks fine. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Stop Ugh. it. Ugh. Yeah, it's it's insufferable. It was so infuriating to watch. It was like, I know exactly how she fucking feels. This I feel like garbage. I feel like even at a younger age, not knowing Hart's story, I watched those videos and thought, they're trying to hide her because she's bigger. They yeah. didn't really make it subtle. Yeah. And you'll also notice if you go back and watch some of the music videos from the later 80s, that they cover her completely, oh, head yeah. to toe. You can't see a fleck of skin from the neck down. They drape that poor woman. <laughs> yeah, she was in like fucking curtains. Yeah. Cinched at the waist, gloves on her hands, turtleneck, long gloves. pants, knee-high boots, with hair covering everything. The only fleck of skin you see is her face. Arguably, knowing what I know now... They did all the wrong things to make her look smaller. Well, yeah, it was the 80s. The silhouette was doing everything wrong (laughs) to make you look terrible. Like, they just bundled her up. And I'm like, well, that's how you make her look bigger. Yeah. Cinching a waist doesn't do shit, honey. They, like, cinched her waist and gave her gigantic shoulder pads like she's Klaus fucking Nomi. (laughs) And... Poor woman is probably sweltering. Oh my god, she's probably dying. Oh my god, she probably would lose about five pounds every show she did. Oh, I'm sure. Holy shit. Damn. I would, 
I would not deal with that shit. Oh, no. I'm not good with it. Oh, no. But all of this pressure about her weight and looks manifested itself in two ways for Anne. Alcoholism and debilitating anxiety. Oh. Just a one-two punch in the gut, right? They kind of go hand in hand. Because why not? Why not? All of a sudden, she had stage fright and would barely force, could barely force herself out on stage. And sometimes the attacks would happen after she was already on stage. Nancy would have to improvise guitar solos to give Anne time to compose herself backstage. To deal with it, Anne began drinking heavily. Oh my god. Which, it's not the way you deal with it. No. Yeah, no. (laughs) Were we both taking a moment to think about our own lives? Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is fine. Uh, She's very lucky to just have a sister like Nancy who wasn't going to pressure her and just said, look, I'll give you all the time you need. Yeah. Just come on out. I'll figure out something on the guitar. Because they said I can't play acoustic anymore, so I learned electric. (laughs) Douchebags. Well, she credited Nancy a lot with helping her get through it because Nancy dealt with it so much that she kind of figured out a way to get Nancy or Anne to calm down and come out on stage and be okay for the rest of the show. So this alcoholism was a vice that would plague Anne for years. She would continue drinking well into the 2000s and eventually overcame the addiction in 2009. Oh, wow. Which really wasn't that long ago. No, that's nine years ago. She realized it was a crutch she was relying on to deal with all the hurt and pain life threw at her throughout the years with breakups and tension in the band, media and record label scrutiny, loss of control over the band's songwriting and all that shit. Yeah, that did kind of snowball, didn't it? Yeah, kind of. She didn't go to AA or anything, but instead just quit cold turkey. Good for her. And she's been sober ever since. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Hart went on to release their next album, Brigade. In 1990, which had the hit, All I Want to Do is Make Love to You, which Which, I think is a questionable song. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a minute. Can we take a minute? Oh, we can take a minute. Let's dissect this song. All right. Okay. Because like when I was younger and I heard the song, I just thought I was like, oh, somebody's in love with somebody. Just wants to make love to them, blah, blah, blah. A few years ago... One of my friends sent me the video. She's like, did you ever watch this video for all I, all I want to do is make love to you? I was like, no. And she sent it to me. And I'm like, okay, I'm watching it. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so it's this chick who's like, I'm out on the road and I see the sexy man on the side of the road. And it's raining and he's all sexy. Uh-huh. So you would interpret like, ah, oh, she just wants to sleep with him because he's all sexy. Like and the, so they do it. That fantasy of picking up a hitchhiker and just doing them. Yeah. Just yeah. They go to like those $1 an hour motels and just bone. Yeah. And then she's gone by morning and it's mm-hmm. sexy. But then you find out in the second act that she had his kid. And not yeah. only did she have his kid, she had his kid because her husband couldn't have his kid. Yep. Or her kid. Yep. She couldn't have her husband's kid, but she didn't know how to tell him that. Yeah. So then she boned a random stranger on the highway. Yep. Had his kid. And the guy's like, can I have any part of this kid's life? She's like, you fucking can't. Eat a dick. Bye. Yep. yep. And that's what that song's about. Yep. What the fuck? <laughs> but also, the song is written by a dude. Actually, it's written by Mutt Lang, who is a pretty prolific songwriter from the 80s and 90s who was also married to Shania Twain. What the fuck? Random <laughs> points of trivia that I don't know why I know. I mean, <laughs> you'll forget them. Don't worry. We drink a lot. But 
So is that why it doesn't make any sense? Because it's a country singer writer guy, and he thinks well, he's, oh, this not, is a, what... he's not a country oh, he's writer. Not? Oh, he's okay. a pop writer. He just married a country artist. I mean, assumptions. Think, I think he's just fucking tone deaf. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, he's a weird dude. His name is Mutt Lang, for Christ's <laughs> sake. Like, <laughs> you could have just left it at, oh, I'm driving around. Oh, check this yeah. guy out. I'm going to bone him. <laughs> and that was it. Like, you could have just you left it. You could have left it at the, the, the every woman fantasy of picking up a hot hitchhiker. Who's not going to kill them. Boning him and just leaving him. Yeah. No, you didn't stop there. You brought in your husband's um, impotency. Yeah, problem. Your desire to want to start a family. You're you're cheating on your yeah. husband. But being too scared to tell your husband, ooh, it's your spunk. It's your spunk. <laughs> I can't get pregnant because your dick is broken. But also, how does she know that he's impotent? Yeah, did and she go doesn't? to a doctor? You missed that verse. I yeah. mean, if you're going to go, I want the we whole story. We need more story. verses in this <laughs> I need one more verse where she goes to the doctor. The doctor's like, look. It's not your it's not your eggs. It's not you. It's, it's your husband. It's your husband. It's a spunk. It's broken. His little He's shooting blanks. His little swimmers don't swim. They they're using life vests and they're still drowning. They're lazy. They're lazy. They're lazy sperm. You need to go find a hitchhiker. Let me tell you what to do. <laughs> you drive around on a rainy night. <laughs> and you find, you the find yourself sexiest. a hot hitchhiker. Sexiest. You bone him. You bone him a lot. Make sure you bone him all night. Like, I'm not talking like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I'm saying you've got to do this at least four times, Make if sh- not five. <laughs> Make sure you tell him you're on the pill, even though you're not. This is key. This is key. <laughs> tell him you got a diaphragm Tell him it's all right. He won't care. He won't he care. He won't care. Because you're going to be hot, too. <laughs> And then you leave him before he wakes up. Yeah. So make sure, don't tell him your name. Don't give him your number. Just leave him. But you check into that dollar an hour motel. You give a fake name. Like Shania Twain. <laughs> Nobody has that name. It's dumb. <laughs> yeah, where was that first? Mutt Lang. Where was the first when she was talking to her gynecologist? Fuck. Uh, you done fucked up, Mutt Lang. You done fucked up. Well, I, <laughs> you I have an incomplete song. Guys, I have problems with that song. We should rewrite it. That song has so many layers to it. <laughs> we should rewrite it and then sing it at karaoke. And then... People will be like, it will be like, this is the Mutt Lang deep cut. <laughs> and everyone will be like, this song makes so much more sense now. Oh, I see. Your husband was impotent. Oh. Oh, but oh. He, you got the results before he did. And you didn't have the heart to tell him. Oh, oh this okay. makes sense. This got all it. makes sense. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. <sighs> and that's my take on all I want to do is make love to you. Hot takes by Maggie. But anyway, <laughs> Brigade was a multi-platinum hit again. Yay. But Good after job, Br- <laughs> But after Brigade, but I cannot... See, that's Say that your fucking brewery. This, this is Brigade. Brigade is my brewery. <laughs> <laughs> so after Brigade, yes, the band decided to take things a bit slower. Remember in the 70s and 80s, they were turning out albums at least once a year and sometimes sooner than that. Yeah. They kind of deserved a break from heart for a bit. Yeah. So Nancy concentrated on starting a family with her husband, Cameron Crow. 
Ooh. Famous movie director. Ooh. And Anne started a family, too, after adopting two children of her own. Oh. Um, Wait. Are you sure she didn't go driving around the highway, though? <laughs> maybe. Well, maybe. maybe the people that she adopted the kids from did that, and maybe. that's how she got the kids. They were like, we're inspired by your song, but we missed the step. <laughs> The husband step. Yeah. I don't want a kid. Yeah. Take it. And actually, Anne would end up doing a bunch of the scores for Cameron Crowe's movies. Oh. Yeah, she did the score for, let's see, Jerry Maguire, Vanilla Sky, huh. Elizabeth Town. Ugh. Um, movie is terrible. There are a bunch of other ones. If Tom Cruise was in it, Anne Wilson did the soundtrack. Yeah, pretty much. But the Wilson sisters didn't ke- couldn't keep still for long and started another band called the Love Mongers that played acoustic shows here and there, just Aww. as something fun to do. And they took their time recording their next heart album, Desire Walks On, which came out in 1993. Mm-hmm. This album was also released on Capitol Records, but this time the, re- the record company let the sisters have a lot more songwriting control than usual. Hair metal had, by now, was completely out, and the singer-songwriter aesthetic was in. So letting them have more control over their music and giving Nancy her acoustic guitar back oh. was deemed allowable. They had it on lockdown. They're like, all right, we took it out of the safe for you, Nancy. Here you go. Yeah. Here's, here's your Here's your guitar back. back. So Lane Staley, who was once the singer of Alice in Chains, mm-hmm. also guests on the Bob Dylan cover of Ring Them Bells on this album. Oh. He also contributed to their next album, an unplugged album of sorts, as well as Chris Cornell and John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin. Nice. So it's kind of funny because even though Heart came out in the 70s, they were kind of like Seattle's darlings. Like, everybody in that area knew that Heart was, like, the big band that came out of that area. So, even though grunt, like, Seattle would become known for grunge. Right. I get the impression that everybody, even in the grunge scene, really looked up to Heart as, like, the hometown heroes. Oh. So, they ended up having all of these connections with all of these uh, grunge musicians. So So they were really good friends with Lane Staley and um, Jerry Cantrell from Alice in Chains. And they were really devastated when Lane died. Right. But they continued their friendship with Lane, um, excuse me, um, Jerry Cantrell. Mm -hmm. They were good friends with Chris Cornell. Like, they were actually really involved in the grunge scene. It's kind of weird. That is... That's there's a total, really weird. There's a total generational gap there, but everybody really looked up to them as, you know, the band that came out of that area. Wow. All right. Good for you, Hart. Yeah. They actually also are good friends with Pearl Jam. You know what? No. Good for you, Grunge. Way to have smarts yeah. and way to, to know who to admire. Way to have reverence for the people that came before you. Right? Not right. everybody does that. Yeah. Props to you, Grunge. For getting it right. So they took another long break after releasing their album with Capitol, but returned to the studio in 2004 and released Jupiter's Darling. Releasing three more albums after this, Fantastic, Broken Beautiful, and Red Velvet Car, Hart kept busy writing music and touring, and they became a staple classic rock summer tour every year with the likes of Journey, Cheap Trick, and all the other bands that tour yearly. Huh. It's almost like I've seen that lineup. Oh, wait, I have. Like every year. 
Like every single year. I only year. saw it once, but they are always at SPAC. Yeah. Um, but if you'll notice, last couple years they haven't been around. No, they have not. That's because not everything ended so happily ever after for Hart. Oh, what? Yeah. What? In 2016, while on tour with Journey and Cheap Trick, an incident happened involving Anne's husband, Dan Wetter, and Nancy's two twin sons, who were 16 years old at the time. And apparently things happened like this. The boys wanted to check out Anne's new tour bus. Dan said sure, but make sure they closed the bus's door on the way out so the couple's dogs didn't get out. After they were done, one of the boys exited the bus, thinking his brother and his stepsister were right behind him, so he left the door ajar as he was continued walking out, but the other two kids didn't come out immediately after him. Dan witnessed this and lost his shit. He ran up to the boy, hit him in the back of the head, then punched him in the head, then grabbed him by the throat while screaming obscenities at him. When his brother intervened, Dan then grabbed him by the throat. <gasps> the boys got away and ran back to Nancy's bus, where they called 911. Police responded and arrested Dan, who was charged with two counts of assault. He would end up pleading guilty, but avoided jail time by agreeing, agreeing to two years of probation, counseling, restitution, and no contact with Nancy's sons. Yeah. This only happened about two years ago while they were on their last tour with Journey and Cheap Trick. And this is Anne's husband. This is Anne's husband that she married in like 2015, I think. Oh, so they've only been married for a year. Yeah. They had only been married for a little while. And actually, this is somebody that they had known for a really long time. Because way back in the day after she broke up with Michael, Mm -hmm. Nancy had set Anne up on a date with Dan. Okay. Long ass time ago. And, like, it just didn't work out. And then they reconnected years later and ended up getting married. Huh. That's dodgy. It's a pretty fucked up situation. This was effectively the end of Heart. Kinda. They finished out the rest of the tour, which they called complete hell and a total nightmare. But so much damage had been done that Anne and Nancy stopped talking to each other. What?! Both sisters would separately say in interviews that they know that at some point they will reunite and that they will both continue making music together, but as far as the band's future is concerned, it's pretty much done. Their focus is mainly on fixing their family, and the band is just on a permanent backseat. What? Yeah, blowing your mind right now, huh? What? Yeah. After everything that they've been through? Yeah. Like, this fucked up situation is like pretty much the end because it's it, it's a shitty situation to be in because yes. in honestly Anne kind of has to um choose between her family or her husband family you always pick and family but that's not so clear to everybody i guess and every interview i've read of her defending her husband just kind of reeks of this guy sounds like a piece of shit and she's kind of just too weak and vulnerable to Ugh. to be like, no, yeah, he's a piece of shit and I need to. Well, that's what I mean. It sounds like they weren't even married for that long. Nancy has been there like your whole life. Yeah. And this guy shows up, beats the shit out of her kids. That would be a red flag for me to say, 
oh, who the fuck do you think you are walking into my family's situation and thinking you can do this? Right. Like, that's not cool. I Now, what does she say about him, though? Does she say, oh, he didn't mean to do that or they exaggerated? In the interviews and articles I've read about this situation, her defense is that he's misunderstood. Oh, no. Yeah. No, he's not. It's like red flags all over the place. That he's misunderstood. The situation was blown completely out of proportion. Probably wasn't. It probably wasn't. (laughs) And that he he tried to apologize, but when at the moment that he tried to apologize, nobody would let him on Nancy's tour bus or something like that. So he never got the opportunity to apologize. And then Nancy had or Anne had to go to Nancy and apologize for him, which of course Nancy didn't accept. Because why would you? It's so stupid. It's so stupid. So this does reek of Anne, get out of Anne, there. What are you doing? Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? I don't think she is. Are you okay, Annie? <laughs> Annie, are you okay? Oh, <laughs> you've got kids too, though. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. That, and not even more so than anything, not that you shouldn't care about your nephews, not that you shouldn't care about your sister, but you've got kids too. And your kids are going to have kids. And do you want this fucking guy around you and around your family? And like, I don't want to accuse people of things that I don't know about, but if he's doing this to his his nephews, yeah, what's he doing to other people? Right. It's I'm just, not. I'm not saying he he has done anything or he right. would, but like if he's if he's stupid enough to get that provoked over a kid not closing a door, right? I was afraid you were going to say, like, they all died or the dog's bitter, but he faces off. Like, no. I don't know what you what was going to happen. But when I heard that's what happened. This whole episode has been me, like, building things up to something really bad. And then you being like, oh, my God, it's not as bad as I thought. We live in 2018. Like, I'm going to assume the worst. <laughs> like, it's still bad, but, like, it's not as bad. Right. Well, that's just it. And it's so funny how it's not as bad, but the reactions and the outcomes are ridiculous yeah you're right we don't know this guy we don't know his relationship with Anne. we don't really know what happened it's just you like you said there's red flags all over and i don't trust that he's got best intentions involved and who is this guy she just married him only a few years before the incident yeah i wouldn't let somebody creep into my life like that i i get being vulnerable i get maybe being misled into thinking things but at the same time girl you've been through so much and you've been through so much with your sister i would walk away that's something i would walk away from yeah that relationship doesn't seem worth it i'm i'm also kind of wondering if maybe this is like Anne's way of getting out of heart because you know for the last few years They've been one of, like, the classic rock staples that tours every summer. Right. Goes to the same cities, playing the same songs. They're not really putting out any new albums. They're just, like, kind of servicing an older fan base, basically. And Anne had really aired some concerns over that because she really wanted to do different things. She didn't want to be one of those, you know, classic rock tropes that just... Like Journey, like Cheap Trick, like all of those bands that just 
go out on tour every year and make do their the money and do the same songs and do the same shows and everything. It must get boring. I'm sure it does. And it, it becomes like a job. Yeah. And maybe it was, maybe this is like her excuse to get out of it and do something different. I guess. I don't know. I mean, that's it. I'll, I won't, I, no. <laughs> I still will be like, but like, don't ruin your relationship with your sister over it. I mean, they could even do what Fleetwood Mac is doing and be like, no, this is going to be our last tour. Didn't they and do then that a like, couple times? Yeah. And then keep doing that like every five years. And then you only have to go on tour every five to ten years. That's true. And you make a shit ton of money because everyone comes out to see you because it's your last tour. I mean, we're falling for it. I'm falling for it right now. Yeah. But then like another five years, you're like, oh, no, we can do another one. But for real, this is the last one. Yeah. And just basically until somebody dies off and you're like, well, I guess we can't do it anymore. Yeah. Oh, but wait, we can. Because we found somebody who sounds exactly like you. And is better. We're going to do this now. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, take, I, take a take a tip from Fleetwood Mac and do it that way. Yeah. Well, I, I, hope, I hope that they at least repair their sisterhood. I hope so. Even if they don't really do any heart music right. anymore. Just, I just want to see them. Yeah. Dump this. Speak. I just want to see her dump this fucking guy and... Dude, have a family Google, again. Google image that guy. What's his name? Dan Wetter. Dan. W-E-T-T-E-R. Exactly how it sounds. <laughs> like bed wetter. <laughs> Scary ass looking gross. dude. I would not marry him. That's just me. <laughs> that's just me though. But that's just me. I think, I think that's a good that's a good bit of advice to end it on for today. Yep. Don't marry Don't Dan Wetter. Don't marry Wetter. Dan Wetter. There you go. Yeah, no. If you guys want to know what to do with your lives, that's it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that was, yeah, that was fun. Uh, twists and turns that I didn't realize were there. And I got through it and I, I kind of can still talk. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. The drinking probably helped get rid of your cold a little. <laughs> Did it? Sure. It's not shots of whiskey, but it's all right. It's still alcohol. It's still alcohol. It'll still do. That's fine by me. Can't imagine if we were doing shots of whiskey, what would it be like right now? Dope. A mess. I would have, as soon as I said dog and butterfly, I would have just passed out. Good night, guys. That was good. Good night. That was a good time. Can't buy all. I'm done. Dog and butterfly. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Hope you guys got as much out of that as I did because I learned a lot. And, you know, stick in for next week because we'll have more crazy stories. Stick in for next week. <laughs> you know, I was like, she let it go. She let, God damn it. No, that's uh, too funny. Stick, stick in, in for next week. <sighs> Do you ever wonder if we didn't drink so many beers, if this would be better? It wouldn't. It would <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're right. Come back next week for more <laughs> stories. Yeah, and but in the meantime... In the meantime, you can follow us on social medias like Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast and Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. And our website is www.rockcandypodcast.com. Follow us on all the things Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you catch your pods. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That's cool too. It helps us get out and get noticed. So if you like us, let us know. And if you don't like us, let us know. I mean, your reviews also help us. We can improve things. We're still entertained by haters. 
Yeah, we kind of are. It's fine. But like, don't feel like you have to get super hateful. It's fine. That's fine. Don't be specific. (laughs) Don't be be generalized hater. It's fine. That's good. Man. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. Yeah. With that, party on, Ashley. Party on, Mikey. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.